Well, Daniel wanted me to, to share this word with you this morning, so we trust the Lord will speak and he'll meet with us. You know, there's many seasons in life. God takes us through many different seasons in life. Some are wonderful, some are difficult. Some seasons are short, some seasons are long. Sometimes he takes us to the mountaintops of his glory, and other times he leads us through valleys of difficulty and times of being broken. But in every season, he's with us. In every season, there's a purpose. And I think David understood this truth very well. We could read Psalm 23. It's a psalm that's very familiar to us. But I want us to see the seasons that are reflected in this psalm. If we could put the psalm up on the, we can read it together. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here David is expressing many seasons he's passed through in life. Seasons of rest and peace, times of restoration. Seasons of the work of righteousness where God's dealing with things in his life, line upon line, to make him more like Christ. Also times in the valley, crucifying experiences, and we know he passed through betrayal. He passed through difficulty and loss. And yet, I love what he declares in verse 4, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. And that's the promise. No matter where the Lord leads us, he is with us. He never takes us somewhere he's not willing to go, or that he has not been. And so we can find comfort in that, that he will never leave us alone, that he's always with us. The Lord is in control. David recognized that his rod and his staff, it speaks of guidance, of, of protection, and also of supporting us. We can depend upon him. You know, he's with us. But that's not the end. David goes on to talk about seasons of victory and joy where God prepares a table before him in the midst of his enemies. There's a sense of victory there. And he experiences a fresh anointing, an overflow of the blessing of God. And it's as if David is saying, I'm overwhelmed. My cup, it overflows because of the goodness of the Lord. And I love how this psalm ends in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And this was the testimony of God's faithfulness. David recognized, yes, there are many seasons in life, some wonderful, some difficult. But the Lord is my shepherd. He is leading me. He is guiding me. And there is a purpose. And in the end, we will see goodness and we will see mercy. And this became very real to me. There was a time in my life when I was going through difficulties with, um, with my jaw and my digestion. And I, uh, we were traveling to Central America for a couple of weeks and I was going to be teaching. And I was distressed um, 
you know, you always want to have the word of the Lord when you go, you cry out for an anointing. But, you know, having these physical issues too is um, very stretching for me. And I, I was just praying as we were taking off on the airplane. And, and then I remember when we were flying into Guatemala and you could see all the mountains and we we're up just about to land. I'm like, oh Lord, be with us. Just be with us from when we go in to when we leave. And, you know, when the, when the tires hit the tarmac, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you. And I held on to that. And I knew that when we took off in two weeks from, it would be El Salvador, that I would look back and see, God, you have been good and you have been merciful. And sometimes we don't see it straight away. We don't see it immediately. But if you keep walking with the good shepherd, you will see down the road. And when you look back, Lord, you were good. Lord, you are merciful. And so sometimes we see it immediately and we come out of a trial. Sometimes we don't. And sometimes we may not see it till we're in eternity. But I promise you this. We will see it and we will declare it that he was good and that he was merciful. And so God takes us through both good and difficult. We need both of them. And we see that in the life of Esther. You know, God is looking for a bride, but not just any kind of bride. He's looking for people who are prepared. And Esther is a, a picture of a woman who was prepared. And she was a bride made ready. And she had to go through things to be ready. And the first thing she had to go through, even before looking pretty, which she was pretty, but you know, when they were allowed to have whatever they wanted, before that point, they had to go through a year of being purified. They had to go through a year of being purified. And she had to go through two things during that time, six months of being anointed with myrrh and six months of being anointed with uh, sweet spices. And, you know, there's this dual aspect that to be purified, we have to go through both difficult and good experiences, but we must meet God in those things. You know, going through them alone will not change us. We meet with God in them. We experience God in them. And he purifies us. We need both. And I want to just ne- focus on the negative. We need both. Esther had both. And so, you know, God doesn't give just one thing on top of another without giving us hope or goodness or mercy or restoration. David said that we go through times of rest and peace. We go through times of difficulty. We go through times of victory. But we see here with Esther, she had to go through a time of bitter and a sweet to be made ready. And we too go through both of these seasons. And for a moment, I just want to speak on bitterness, bitterness. And myrrh speaks of, it was a bitter spice. It was used for embalming. And it does speak of bitterness. It speaks of meekness. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that we will go through in life. And I want to look at this going through a season of bitterness, but overcoming in it. Not just going through it, but overcoming in it. And I want to look at a few people in Scripture who God ordained to take them through these experiences. And that's what I want us to see, that God allows bitter experiences to come into our life, even as he did in Esther's life. But there's a purpose in it so that his fruit can come forth in our lives, his fruit of meekness, and also his fruit of faith. And also we'll see at the end of their lives tremendous blessing, even blessings that would overwhelm us. And the first person is Job. Job was a perfect man, and God, but God desired to do a deeper work in his life. 
And that's something we can learn from Job. He was a good, perfect, righteous man, but there's always a deeper work God wants to do. And the Lord shared that prophetically this morning, that he wants to bring us into victory, but it will require a deeper work. And so we see in Job, there was a deeper work God wanted to know to do. And we know the bitterness of Job's trial. And one day he lost his livestock. He lost his children. But he turned and he worshiped the Lord. But that wasn't the end of the trial, was it? God allowed Satan to touch Job's body. And he had boils from his head to his feet. He suffered, suffered physically. And he also endured being misunderstood by his friends, which is difficult in itself. <laughs> um, he was misunderstood and, and chastened by his friends. You know, what a difficult situation. And Job says this in Job 9.18, and he's speaking of the Lord here. He says, He will not suffer me to take my breath, but fills me with bitterness. You know, it's almost like Job's like, I, I can't even catch my breath. It's like one thing after another. Lord, you've brought me into a very bitter situation. And Job was a, a human, you know, but he trusted in God, and he hoped in God, and he knew that God was going to do something, even though that trial, it tried him to the uttermost. And even in that moment, he didn't see the goodness of the Lord, but he believed in him. And this is one of my favorite scriptures, and I've shared it many times, but in Job 23, 8 through 10, and I want you to see this is later on in the trial. Job says, Behold, I go forward. He, speaking of the Lord, is not there. And I go backward. I can't perceive him. On the left hand where he works, but I can't behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I can't see him. So he's saying, Lord, I don't know where you are, but I know this, that you see me. You know what you're doing. You know the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. And so in the midst of this bitter situation, he says, but Lord, you're, you see me. You're in control of this situation. You're doing something in my life. And when you bring me out, I will be like gold. And so he recognized the goodness of God. I want to look at another person, Hannah. Hannah, she faced bitterness, not only of being barren, but she had an enemy in her life who was terribly cruel, and her name was Peninnah. And scripture says that Hannah's husband loved her more than Peninnah. I'm sure that caused Peninnah to be jealous of her. And, you know, Song of Solomon says jealousy is as cruel as the grave. And if any of you have ever faced jealousy, it is very cruel. But it caused her great distress. Yet through it all, Hannah maintained a sweet spirit. And she did not become angry. She did not become bitter. She didn't become envious of Peninnah or resentful toward her. It almost seemed as if Peninnah's cruel and harsh character, the only thing it did was thrust Hannah into the arms of God. And in 1 Samuel 1.10, it says this of Hannah, and she was in bitterness of soul. But what did she do? She cried out to God, and she wept before him. And we know that when Hannah turned to the Lord in that moment, that Eli was there. Eli, Hannah was misunderstood too. Of course, Eli thought at first she was drunk, but then she shared with him that she, you know, she was barren and she longed for a child, um, or that she was making a request, and Eli said, be it unto you, you know, let have your request, and you know, she received that. She received that as a word from the Lord, and that says something about Hannah's heart, because 
You can't receive a word of faith if you don't have a tender heart. If you have a hard heart, you won't believe. So we see she had a tenderness and she grabbed a hold of that word and she believed it and God produced a son in her life and there was work of grace done there. And, you know, I also think of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet. He too experienced great bitterness watching his beloved city who he had wept over, he had interceded for, and prophesied over for years be destroyed. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> that was his calling. And yet he was looking at it being destroyed. And Jeremiah said this in Lamentations 3.15. He says, speaking of the Lord, he has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunken with wormwood. And so Jeremiah must have wondered, Lord, was it worth it? Everything I did and yet it was destroyed. Yet in this same chapter, you know, we see him pouring out his soul and yet his heart turns toward God. And he says this in the, later on in that same chapter in verses 21 through 26. He says, but this I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good to them who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You know, Jeremiah turned his heart. He said, oh, Lord, this is difficult, but I know you are merciful. I know you are faithful, and I will wait upon you. I will hope in you. And, you know, we know that that was not the end of the story for Jeremiah because his prophecies were written down, and there was a young man named Daniel years down the road who would read those prophecies and who would understand the timing of the Lord to pray for the release of his people there's a purpose in everything, and there's a timing for everything. Naomi was another woman who passed through bitter experiences in the land of Moab. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. How difficult that must have been. And when she turned, returned to Bethlehem with, with um, Ruth, she said to everyone, call me Mara. And I want us to see what she says here why she's called Mara. In Ruth 1, verses 20 through 21, it says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. She says, Lord, you've taken me through difficult things. You know, she experienced tragedy and such deep loss that she felt like she had nothing left. She came home empty. But she didn't say, I am Mara because I am bitter, but because, God, you've brought me through a bitter experience. And I don't think Naomi was a, a bitter person. If you've ever been around a bitter person, they are someone you don't want to be around. And yet we know that her two daughters-in-law loved her. They held her. They claved to her. They wanted to go with her. But we know that Ro Ruth is the one who claved and went on with her. But, you know, we see that through all of that, Naomi still maintained uh, a hope in God, a hope in God. Even though all natural hope was gone, there was a lively hope in her heart. And so we can see from these examples, the most important thing is our attitude. God will take us through difficult times. And sometimes it'll be as if we had to drink the cup, 
you know, like these ones, those bitter cups. But they chose with their hope and trust in God because they knew him and who he was, that he was merciful, that he was faithful. And so we want to have a right attitude during these difficult times. In Song of Solomon 4.16, the Shulamite says this, Awake, O north wind, and come. Thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. And this is speaking of the garden of our heart, and that's the theme of Song of Solomon. And so the Shulamite is inviting the north wind to come and to blow upon our garden. And the north wind is like what we're experiencing today, that cold wind, that difficult, hard experiences. That's what it can speak of. But then she invites the south wind to blow upon our garden. And this speaks of the good experiences, the sweet experiences. But she asks blow to both to blow upon her garden. And what happens? A fragrance goes out. A fragrance grows out, and that fragrance invites her beloved to come in to her garden. It draws the presence of God to come. And the fragrance that comes forth is from the fruit in her garden. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But I think that's so beautiful that she's saying, you know, whether it's the harsh wind or the sweet wind, Lord, the same fragrance is going to go out and it will invite your presence to come. Our attitude in trials will either invite the presence of God to come or it will push him away. And as we respond rightly in our bitter experiences, we're purified and a beautiful fragrance is released from our hearts that draws the Lord near. And that's what we saw in Job, in Hannah, in Jeremiah, in Naomi. Oh, the presence of God came and he makes all the difference in our trials. David said, you're with me in the valley. Because he looked to God. He looked to him and he hoped in him. And there's a danger. There's a danger if we resist God and we harden our hearts during these difficult seasons. And we don't want to let bitterness take root in our hearts. And Paul, who we believe is the writer of Hebrews, says this in Hebrews 12, 15. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be, be defiled. You know, bitterness is very dangerous. We go through bitter experiences, but we don't want bitterness to come in. And what keeps that from happening is we cry out to God and we meet with God because he's allowed it for a reason. But if we don't, it's very dangerous. And that's why Paul's saying, look, diligently look diligently to make sure that there is no bitterness and we need to examine our hearts before the lord and ensure that there is no bitterness taking root if we resist god in our experiences and allow our hearts to become hard and offended because of unbelief or unforgiveness resentment or disappointment it becomes ground where bitterness can take root. And obviously bitterness is some kind of plant because it has a root and it can grow. And if it does take root, Paul tells us that it does two things. The first thing is it troubles us. It troubles us. And this word, word trouble actually means to crowd, to crowd out. It reminds me of the parable of the sower in Mark 4, 7. It says about the seed, some fell amongst thorns 
and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. It yielded no fruit. And so, you know, here this seed couldn't grow because of the thorny ground. And you kind of get the same thought with, with bitterness, that if it springs up, it crowds out everything else, and it takes over. And it chokes the work of God in our hearts, and it makes us unfruitful. And that's why Paul is saying, you have got to be diligent and examine your hearts. The second thing is it defiles other people. It defiles other people. And maybe, you know, for us, by God's grace, there isn't any bitterness in our heart, but maybe we've experienced the bitterness in other people's hearts because it defiles. And that word defiles means to taint, to solely, or to contaminate. You know, a root of bitterness doesn't just affect our own spiritual life. It defiles others. And it can hinder their spiritual walk and taint their view of others, of the church, and even of God and who he is. You know, I think of Job's wife. Now, I'm not minimizing what she went through. It was terrible, and I can't even imagine that. But, you know, in that trial, she said to her husband, why are you holding on to your integrity? Just curse God and die. You know, it's, it's a bitter statement. And it was a bitter trial, but you know, she could have defiled Job with that. He could have said, you know what, you're right, I give up. But thankfully he didn't, you know, he didn't. And he was able to keep his heart right before the Lord and to meet God in it. And, you know, but when we let it come in and remain, it troubles us, it defiles others. But it has the potential to destroy our spiritual life. It can take over and cause us let go of what is precious. And we see this clearly in the very next verse. It says in Hebrews 12, 16, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. This word lest is a connector word. It's connecting two thoughts. And so we see this connection of bitterness in Esau, who sold his birthright. And so this is the, the ultimate terrible destination of bitterness if it's not dealt with. It causes us to let go of what is precious and valuable. It can blind our eyes and dull our hearts and cause us to forget God's goodness, his promise, and his faithfulness. You know, we've seen that. We've seen that. And it's very sad when people forget, when they forget God's goodness, his promises, and his faithfulness. And Paul says this in Hebrews 12, 15. He says that bitterness comes in because of one reason. It's because they failed the grace of God. They failed the grace of God in Hebrews 12, 15. And so bitterness comes in because one has failed to receive grace to overcome in times of disappointment. Bitterness sets in when people harden their hearts because they're hurt and they resist grace. They're disappointed or we may be disappointed in a person, in a situation, in what a person does to us, but there is grace available for every trial and every circumstance. That's what Pastor really taught us. In fact, that's a quote from his book. <laughs> um, his grace causes us to overcome in every situation. So we need to obtain grace of God in our trials, and we obtain by going to his throne of grace in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. It says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace that we may obtain grace, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, we serve a God who's experienced weakness. He knows our frailties, our sufferings. He knows the sorrow of disappointment. Yet he was a man who also experienced grace and he overcame and he obtained grace for us to overcome. So here's the invitation, come. When you're in need, when you're in trouble, you come to my throne of grace and I will give you grace to overcome. But we need to open our hearts to him and share what's going on and to be honest. But he will give grace, but he will also give mercy. Mercy, and we are kept by the mercy of God. We are kept by the mercy of God. And so the most important thing we can do in our trials is go to the throne of grace and obtain grace and mercy like Job, like Hannah, Jeremiah, and so many others so that we can endure. You know, another key is found in Exodus 15, 23 through 25, and this is the waters of Marah. The waters of Marah. And Israel traveled three days into the wilderness. They were thirsty, and they finally came to some waters at a place called Marah. But they were so thirsty, and and to their great disappointment, the water was bitter. So Moses cried out to God, and God said, Cut down a tree, cast it into the waters, and they will be healed, and they'll become sweet. And that tree speaks of the cross. And the cross is how we gain victory over bitterness in our lives. We go to the cross, and we yield to God, and we accept what he's brought in our lives, knowing it's for our good. We die to our own will and our own way, our own way of thinking, accepting we have no rights. And I know it's sometimes those things are easy to say, but when you're in it, it's a crucifying experience. It really is. It's crucifying, and yet it's at the cross where we find the grace and the mercy that we need to overcome in those trials. And, you know, in 2021, I passed through some very crushing and difficult experiences, but one of the most difficult things for me was putting my mom into a nursing home. And that was still in the midst of um, COVID. And we knew it was the Lord directing us to do that, but it was hard to release her to let someone else take care of her after I had been taking care of her with my dad for so many years. And when we first put her in, she had a two-week quarantine period. So during that time, we couldn't be near her all. We could only see her, which some of you know, through her window from outside. We could look into her window. And um, during that time, she became very sick. And we I remember one day we went to visit her, and she just looked so sick, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't give her a drink of water. I couldn't. I was standing outside a window looking, and I was thinking, oh, God, is this what it was like for you watching your son on the cross? I'm sure it was much worse. This is probably just a taste, but I'll tell you, it was so hard to not be able to do anything to help her. And um, she ended up having to go into the hospital, and she was there for a few weeks, and um, and she got better, and then we had to decide where was she going to go. And I really didn't want her to go back. You know, I was thinking, there's something else we, we need to do, because I was afraid she was going to get sick again. And to go through the whole quarantine. So we're praying and we 
talked with leadership and they said um, they felt, no, she's, we feel from the Lord she's to go back. And that was so hard for me. And it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I thought was the right thing to do. And um, I'm like, Daniel, can you call again and just make sure? So he did. He called a second time. We're like, no, this is the Lord. And, and I wasn't upset with leadership. I was actually more upset with God. I really struggled to not be offended with what the Lord was requiring of me. And I really had to cry out to God and, and go to the cross and just say, Lord, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I want. But we trust in you, and we know that this is what you're asking of us, and I, I'm going to surrender her to you. And that was the first time where I really was able to let her go, really and truly let her go. But something in me died, and something in me had to die. And it was my human emotions, my human thinking, I had to let that go and trust that God is above it all and he knows what's absolutely best. And, you know, God turned that situation in such a beautiful way. And my mom ended up receiving the absolute best care in that nursing home. They gave her her own room in the back where it was quiet and we could play worship music all day. It was like a little sanctuary back there. And they allowed us to be compassionate care workers and we could go see her anytime from about nine in the morning to about six o'clock at night during COVID. I mean, it was just unheard of at the time. I don't think there was another nursing home that would have let us do that. And so the Lord turned that situation. It ended up, and I saw over and over again, Lord, you were right. You were right. You were perfect. All your ways are true and just and holy. You know, we will be saying that in eternity. That's the song of Moses and the Lamb. Your ways are righteous. They are true. They are perfect. And we want to declare that on this earth, even when it looks like it's not at the time. But Lord, your ways are right. They are perfect. And, you know, as we do that, we will see a turning. We will see it. And I saw after time, Lord, you were good and you were merciful. You know, the tide is going to turn. Things will change. And we know Esther didn't just go through bitter, but she also went through sweet. These ones, they went through a, a difficult chapter, but it wasn't the end of the book. And we know that Naomi was blessed beyond measure with a child that ended up being in the lineage of Christ. Hannah received a son who would be a prophet to, to uh, the nation of Israel. Job was given double. You know, we see God's blessing, and God wants to, uh, to bring a turning, to bring a divine exchange, to give us beauty for ashes and oil for oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for heaviness. You know, God wants to bring a turning. When Daniel and I were on our honeymoon, we visited uh, Swansea, and when we got off the, the bus, we saw this big open space with stones, and there was a boat just sitting on the stones and we went over this little bridge and we were just looking we're like this is so strange and a man came up to us he's like oh he's like you're new here he's like well, you keep your eye and you watch and the tide will come in and that boat will lift right up and so we did we stood we walked around for a while and came back sure enough by the time we left the water had come in 
it's completely full. And that boat had lifted up. And, you know, sometimes in our times of going through the wilderness and the valley, we feel like that boat that's just sitting on dry ground. And all we see is dry ground as far as the eye can see. But I tell you today, the tide is turning. The tide is turning and the waters will come in. And that boat that could do nothing was lifted up and able to go where it needed to go. You know, God is going to do something fresh if we will hold on and cry out, Lord, your ways are perfect. They are just. Give me grace. Give me, let your mercy be upon me. In Isaiah 64, 4, it says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waits for him. I know we feel like that little boat, (laughs) but wait, wait, wait. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things that God has prepared if we will wait upon the Lord and to trust in him in all these seasons he brings into our lives. You know, we heard prophetically too about the pruning and sometimes that can be very bitter but it's for a purpose. It's not just to cut. It's to bring life and to bring more life. And we serve a God who is the resurrection and the life. And when God does move, we will realize, oh God, it was only you and your goodness and your mercy followed us all the way through, all the way through. So I wanted to encourage you with that this morning. And there were four little things I wanted to just mention in closing that were on my heart. Because, you know, God is going to move. He's preparing us to be a bride. He's preparing us for the things he's going to do. But we do need to be diligent to make sure, Lord, is my heart right? Search me and try me. Because God wants to do a deeper work. And he wants to do a deeper purifying us to bring a greater victory into our lives. And so the first thing is, Maybe you are passing through a bitter experience and you need a fresh meeting with God. You need a word of faith. And, you know, in, at the end of my, toward the end of my bitter experience, I remember just feeling like I have nothing. I, I didn't even feel like I had anything to give, but God spoke to me. And he met with me. He spoke to me about a rejoicing spirit. And that pulled me out of the pit. And God can speak to you. It may not be a rejoicing spirit. We do. We all need a rejoicing spirit. But God can speak a word of faith that will encourage you and strengthen you to hold on. You know, during that, maybe you're in it. Uh, or maybe you've gone through it and you still have the taste of that in your mouth. God wants to meet with you and speak to you and cleanse you. Or maybe you've realized, you know, I think there might be a little bit of bitterness that's taken root in my heart, you know, because we've been disappointed. You know, there's anger, resentment, unforgiveness, something like that, or a hurt that's deep. You know, the father is the husbandman, and he can pluck that root out, but we need to come to the cross. Lord, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. This isn't what should happen. But Lord, I'm going to obtain grace and trust in you to turn this situation. And so sometimes we have to just let go of what we wanted and what we expected and just ask God for grace and for mercy. 
Or maybe you don't have bitterness in your heart, but you've been defiled by someone's bitterness. Maybe there's a bitter person in your life and you've been the target and you felt the harsh words and the actions and you've been wounded. It could be recently, it could be a long time ago. And you know, the Lord can meet us in those experiences too. And he can give us a Manasseh, a Manasseh. And as I was studying this out, that's what Pastor Bailey said. You know, to overcome bitterness, we go to the cross and cry out for a Manasseh. God, cause me to forget the pain of those words that were spoken, the pain of the things that were said, because words are so painful, and we can be under it. We can be under it for days, weeks, months, years. But God wants to bring us out and to give us a Manasseh so that we might remember what they did, but it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't affect us anymore. And we can love them as, as we should love them and pray for them as we should pray for them. Or maybe you've been defiled indirectly. Maybe there's someone who's bitter and they share with you their offense, their bitterness. And maybe you've taken it up and you've become angry about someone or something. You haven't gone through it, but they did. And um, I remember in Bible school, someone went through something hard and I was concerned about it and upset and I prayed. And the Lord said to me, he's like, did that happen to you? And I said, no. And he said, then don't take it up. There's no grace for you and I'm not going to speak to you about it because it wasn't mine. It was someone else's. And I, and I realized, I was like, oh, that's what it means to take up someone's offense. And, you know, we want to be careful of that because sometimes if we listen to people and they're bitter and we accept it, we begin to be tainted. We begin to see people the wrong way or the church or our leadership. And we want to be so careful of that. And if that has happened too, because there are disgruntled people out there, we go to God and we say, Lord, cleanse me. Give me grace. Give me a Manasseh. I don't want to think wrong of this person or of this situation, or of you, God, or of you. Sometimes people can be offended with the Lord because of things they've gone through, and it can make us question who God is. And we want to be careful of that. You know, God, your ways are righteous. They are true. They are perfect. And you give us grace. And we know at the end something good and wonderful is going to happen. And so I wanted to just share those few things with you and even just, you know, through the week or, you know, today, Lord, examine my heart. I want to make sure my heart is right, that there's not one root of bitterness in my heart, even if it's not mine directly, if it's from someone else or something someone's done against me. Lord, I want to be cleansed so I can be ready and I can be used and I can meet with you. There is grace for us. God wants us to overcome that's what he spoke through the prophetic. He wants us to overcome. He wants to make us pillars. And he is with us through every trial. Amen.